All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 tonight is where we're going to be. And so if you want to find your place there, and as you do, go ahead and stand with me, and we'll get right into our thoughts tonight. We were at lunch this afternoon, and I told the kids I'm going to have to go finish up the sermon after lunch today, and uh, I had... I had too many pages, and I had to cut things out. And I said, oh, Dad, I want you to play with us. And I said, well, if I, if I play with you, it'll be a 50-minute message tonight. And they said, go cut it down, Dad. Cut it down, you know. <laughs> so I think David was ready to delete the whole thing. I don't know. So, all right, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and uh, let's read the entire chapter tonight. So verse 1, Solomon challenges us as he concludes... This book, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, or the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, and the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease because they are few. And those that look out of the windows be darkened, and the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low. And he shall rise at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. And when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fears shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail, because man goeth to his long home." And the mourners go about the streets, or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity, and moreover, because the preacher was wise... He still taught the people knowledge, yea, he gave good heed, and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further by these, my son, be admonished of making many books. There is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh." Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Let's pray tonight. Father, thank You for Your Word and these particular words. And Lord, as simple as sometimes these truths can be, um, they are easily lost on us and forgotten. And so, Lord, I pray tonight you just once more call to our remembrance the need um, to be thoughtful about your presence in our life and, Lord, to let you direct um, our thinking and our hearts and to accept from your hand what you've given to us and to, Lord, not always be trying to manipulate and control to understand things beyond our comprehension, but Lord, to accept the good in life that you've given to us, to accept the rays of sunshine today as your gift, uh, the beauty of the smiles and friendships and family that you bless us with, with simple things like good food and uh, time together. And so, Lord, I pray that as we conclude this series and tonight, once more you'd speak to our hearts, help us to understand these final words and find application in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
When I was in the fourth grade, I, I was reading anything I could get my hands on. And so my teacher at the time, Judy Rayner was her name, and she encouraged me to read a series of books by J.R.R. Tolkien, which many of you would be aware of, called The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. And these are classic books. They were written in the 1930s. And so I read them once, and I fell in love with them. And I read them again and again and again. And the movies came out in recent years, and as good as the movies are, if you've never read the books, they just, they, they don't begin to compare. And those who may not know the premise for the story, it, it'd be a little difficult to say so concisely, but the idea is, is that there was a ring that was forged and created, and this ring had great power. And whoever had possession of the ring had possession of power. And so the fate of Middle-earth would rise and fall on the possession of that ring, and the ring was lost for thousands of years. And so in the opening lines of the book one, and then even of the first movie of The Lord of the Rings, the character Galadriel, who was one of the heroines of the movies, says these words as she recounts the history of the ring and as she casts her ideas about it. And she says in a very somber tone with music playing in the movie, and then of course in the book you would use your imagination, and she says, and some things that should not have been forgotten were lost. And history became legend. And legend became myth. And for two and a half thousand years, the ring passed out of all knowledge. And I love that line, some things that should not have been forgotten, they were lost. And because of that, it created so many problems for a lot of people, and the drama unfolds from that, that knowledge base. If we're not careful in our own lives, God too is forgotten. And in our own personal life and in the timeline that each of us have, history of our knowledge of Him, of our salvation, becomes legend. And the legend of God in our own lives might become a myth. And in time, He passes out of knowledge. We have a hard and difficult time focusing our minds and being aware of those things in life that are most important. It's easy to be forgetful of how important the important things in life are. Ask any parent with young children. Ask any spouse. Ask anyone who has close relationships. We easily forget in the hustle and bustle of life that, that those relationships and those people are the most important things, and yet it seems like those are the things that are so easily forgotten in our priority list. And if we're not mindful, the easiest person to forget about in our lives on a day-in and day-out basis is God. Life is busy. And so many things press our hearts and minds. And even in quiet moments like these, if we were to hear the many thoughts passing through all of our minds, it would be a cacophony of loud and disjointed noise this evening. Though it's quiet, there are so many things going on in our hearts and in our minds even, even now. And God, sometimes in our lives, as the sun comes up and it sets and tomorrow comes, who should not be forgotten 
in the midst of all that is too easily lost. And we aren't the only ones who forget God. And I find some comfort in this because Solomon did too. He also forgot God. And he writes to us from the agonizing consequences of forgetfulness. As a child, Solomon was exposed to God frequently. His dad was King David. Like, like the David. The man who wrote so much of the Old Testament. The author of many prayers, worship songs, and psalms. No one had exposure to God more than Solomon. Solomon knew God. He loved God. He prayed to God. He walked with God. He trusted in God. But then something happened in his heart. External influences, the people that were around him, specifically his wives, but for us it could be anyone. These, these external influences, they impacted him. And his heart was stolen away from God. And so Solomon, who knew God, forsook him and forgot him. He still had his wisdom that God had given to him, but he lost his trust in God. And so apart from God, Solomon at the end of his life assesses all the mass, the mass knowledge and experiences that he's had. And throughout the book, he just says, it's vanity. And 38 times in 12 chapters, he uses this word and in the Hebrew, it's hevel. And it means, it means breath. It means uh, a vapor. It means smoke. I, I took our dog on a walk late last night and uh, he needed to get out of the house and I'm going to exercise him. And as I'm walking, I can see Havel. I can see breath. And it, it looks real. And it looks substantive. And it has, it has this dimension to it. But you can't grasp it. You can't grasp a vapor. You can't grasp smoke. You can reach for it, but you can't attain it. And it's used to describe how life is temporary, how life is fleeting. It's here and it's gone, but it's also used, as Solomon uses this word in context, to show how that life is an enigma or paradox. There is so much beauty and there is so much good in life. And as soon as we get close to something that we, we, just, we just think, wow, that is so good and this moment is so sweet and I enjoy what I'm participating in or what I'm doing in this moment. Or we have this moment of reflection. We think life is so good. Boy, you blink and all of a sudden everything spirals out of control so fast. And you think, I wish I could just hold on to life the way it is in this moment because it's so sweet and good. And then you go to grasp it and it slips through your fingers. The relationship crumbles. Vacation ends. The money runs out, whatever it may be. We all have a strong sense of justice. But we don't get justice in a sin-cursed world. Bad things happen to good people. Solomon wrestles with this idea through the entire book. He wrestles with the idea even more, not just that bad things happen to good people, but that good things happen to bad people. And that drives him crazy. The wise suffer along with the foolish, and the foolish benefit along with the wise. And things don't make sense to us. And so, like Solomon, we try to find meaning and purpose apart from God. We may not say this with our words, but we do this with our lives. And it's not that we're saying, well, I'm going to exclude God. It's just that we're not willing to grant Him the sovereignty that He asks us for. 
We want understanding. We spend energy and emotion and great effort in the pursuit of things that ultimately have no lasting meaning. And the book of Ecclesiastes give us, gives us one harsh reality after another. And in chapter 12, we are given one of the harshest realities of life. And that reality is this. You ready? You're going to die. And, and that's it. And it's not just that you're going to die, but you're going to suffer through the process of aging. The wise and the fool both go through it. The wicked and the righteous, the kind and the mean amongst us. Criminals die as well as upstanding citizens. The honest and the liars, the cool people and the nerds, they all get old and they all die. Aging's a painful process. It's the hardest thing in life. It's something that Solomon explains. And it was obvious from the text he was going through himself. Every year I go in to the doctor for a checkup. And I have done this for a very long time, as far back as I can remember. And I have never had much to talk about, thankfully. But each year, the visit gets a little bit longer. And we have a little bit more to discuss. And some tease me because I'm young and I like that. Some are beginning to tease me because I'm old. You can keep that to yourself. We are all on different points on the continuum of life and death, but we are all on the continuum. And Solomon, in poetic and dignified way, and, and even using words that would be lost to us today because of antiquity and history, describes the aging process. And so he says the, the keepers, the arms and the hands, they begin to weaken and they tremble. The legs, the knees, the shoulders, he uses the word strong men, they weaken and, and they cause one to be bent. The teeth or the grinders, they begin to come loose. The eyesight or the windows, he would use that word, begin to fail. Bodily functions, he calls it the doors, they begin to diminish. Ears can't hear as well. The mind can't sleep as long. Heights become more fear fearful and there's falling becomes more dangerous. The almond tree or the hair, it turns white and falls out. The energy, he uses the term grasshopper, it's decreased and movement slows. Physical desires diminish, and your desire, he uses this phrase, for your long home, which would be heaven grows. And then finally, death arrives. And it's like a silver cord breaking or a golden bowl that's falling. It was likely, likely in that time a kind of light fixture that would have been in the homes of wealthy. And the bowl falls. And as it does, the light goes out. There's a, a drama that was written by playwright Samuel Beckett, and it's called Breath, and it lasts 35 seconds. And I hope Keith can listen to this very carefully. <laughs> Maybe we could do a drama that's 35 seconds. And here's how the drama goes. The curtain opens, and in the middle of the stage, there is a pile of rubbish. And that pile of rubbish is illuminated by a single light. The light 
dims, and then it brightens a little before going completely out. There are no words, there are no actors, but there is a soundtrack. And so as the light dims and then brightens and then goes out, you hear the soundtrack with a human cry, followed by an inhaled breath, an exhaled breath, and another cry. And it's depicting the vapor of life. It's so fast. In, in, in the context of eternity, in the, in the context just of the history of our world, our lives are a blip on the radar. Every one of our lives, it's a blip. And because life begins and it ends so quickly, Solomon is asking us to recognize that. And so he is saying to us, hey, I want you to make sure that you remember your creator. And that's how he opens his final chapter. Remember means to have in or be able to bring to one's mind an awareness of someone or something. See, your memory, the things that you remember, that you set your mind on, that you put in the forefront of your mind, they, it impacts your behavior and it impacts the decisions that you make. Have you ever gone to the grocery store before to get one item? One item. You don't need to make a list, it's one item. And your wife asks you to go to the grocery store. And, and, and maybe ladies, you've done this too. I don't know, this is, a, this is painful illustration for me. And I go into the grocery store and I walk out with a cartload of stuff and I get home, and Elizabeth says, where's the whatever? <laughs> and I look at her, and that's frustrating, because I forgot. I wasn't supposed to get cereal and ice cream. <laughs> I don't know how that ended up in the cart. To forget God, to not keep Him in the forefront. Someone said, you got one thing here. Like, don't forget the one thing that's most important. And if we forget Him, there are much greater consequences in our lives and in eternity. And we travel down all the wrong roads and we waste a little precious time in this life that we have. And Solomon is staring at us in the text and he is looking us deadlock eye to eye. And it's as if he's crying from the pages of Scripture saying to you, saying to me, I wish I had never forgotten God. I wish I had remembered Him. And whatever else you do, don't forget God. When we are young, we imagine we will have time to serve God later. That's what we think. That's what the youthful thinks, what the youthful mind thinks. It, it, you, know, you have to get into the mid, middle age. So I'll get there one day. And Solomon is saying life is so short. It's a breath. It's, it's a vapor. It's why he reminds us about the aging and dying process because life begins and it ends quicker than you can imagine. And every single day, Compared to the time we will spend in eternity, it counts. Today counts. Tonight 
counts. Don't wait till tomorrow to make the moment count. Every moment counts. And he says, and he, he has this clarion call that we might remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. And if you're not dead yet, then you have some youth. And he says, until the end of your death, remember him. And at life's end, you will have no excuse for not remembering your creator. You have been given everything you need to remember him. Look at verse 9 again with me. He says, moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave heed and um, sought out and set in order many proverbs. Proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. He labored hard to bring us this content. And that which was written was upright, even words of truth. You have been given guidance. You have been given instruction that no one else in the Bible, even in the Bible, had. We have more today than even the people, the, his audience had. We have even more. We are without excuse. You can read it. You can meditate on it. You can avail yourself to this knowledge. We are without excuse to not remember God. As we go into each day and as we end each day, remember your Creator. Verse 11, he says, The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And again, these are old terms. I can't say with certainty what these mean. But scholars suggest that goads that are, are, are the pointy, is the pointy end of a shepherd's staff. And so a shepherd would have this pointy end and they called it a goad. And he would use that staff to, to move the sheep into the direction in which he wanted them to go. And it was pointy. And it was like a jab. Like, hey, you're not going the right way. Bop! And he'd, he'd, he'd bump them with it. And sometimes God's word's that way. Hearing a message about death is a little bit of an ouch. What are you doing, Lord? That's the point. It's supposed to inflict a little bit of pain because it moves us in the right direction. Then the nails. And, 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 and historians believe that these were probably more like a spike and it would have been driven into hard ground to, to secure a shelter, especially in times of storms and wind and weather. A vapor you can't put a spike through. Vanity, hevel, smoke, you can't, you can't grasp it, you can't poke it, you can't nail it down. But he says, I've given you the truth. I've given you words of wisdom. I'm giving you this knowledge. And you could put a stake in it. You can mark it down. It'll anchor your life. And I'm going to use it to goad you. I'm going to push you in the right direction. It's solid. It's truth. It's to be used this way. Verse 12, he says, And further, by these my son be admonished, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. There is this warning not to take the words of Ecclesiastes or any words, for that matter, too far. See, you could spend your whole life trying to answer the existential puzzle of life. And many philosophers will spend their entire life doing that. It torments them. And it leaves them with the same answer Solomon came up with. It's all vanity. And Solomon is saying one last time as he exits the pages of history, 
He is saying, don't try to have all the answers because you will never find them. There's a mysteriousness to God. There's a quality about Him. We, yes, we strive. Yes, we work hard. But there's a quality about God and His sovereignty. There's a mysteriousness about Him. There's a beauty about Him that we learn to just accept and stop trying to figure everything out. Here's the truth upon which you can live your life. Mark it down. Remember it. Let it goad you. Let it guide you. This is ultimately what every message preached should point us toward. In some ways, it's a summation of the entire Bible. And you are going to be held accountable for both remembering and forgetting this truth. The message of Ecclesiastes, as Solomon concludes these ideas, and he starts with nothing matters. As he gets to chapter 12, it's the idea that really everything matters. Because you insert God into the equation... And all of a sudden, from the day we are born, at the youngest of ages, in our youth, to the day that we die and go through this aging process, it all matters. And it matters in a great and significant way. Verse 14, he says, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Whether or not we remember God. Whether or not we get up, we go to bed tonight, we get up tomorrow morning, and He is on our mind and heart, and our, we are motivated by Him, it will be reflected on that day. Judgment day is coming. He says God will bring all things into knowledge. Everything's going to make sense. God's going to clear away the vanity, the havel, the smoke, the vapor, the things in our life that don't make sense. God's going to clear it away. He will bring true justice to our world. Evil will be punished. Righteousness will be rewarded. Not in this life and stop expecting it to be. But one day it's coming and that hope should fuel a life of honesty and integrity before God despite the fact that we stay here and remain puzzled about His workings and life's mysteries. So how do we remember our Creator? How do you do that? How do I I go to bed and remember? How do I get up tomorrow morning and remember? Well, the way I think about it is this. You have a hard time forgetting that which causes you fear. I have only had a few moments in my life that I was truly afraid. And I I don't mean like I'm walking down the hallway and one of my kids jumps out of the closet to scare me. Because that happens all the time in our home. (laughs) And I'm an active participant in that as well. I'm talking about truly afraid, like for my life or for the life of a loved one. I would imagine that most of us have had at least one or two moments like that. And like you, I have never forgotten them. And in this moment, if I let my mind go there, I can feel the fear that I experienced in that moment. Fear. It's an an emotion. It's caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous. God, whether we realize it or not, whether we contend with Him or not, is dangerous. 
He is dangerous. And if you aren't concerned about him, you are unwise. The instruction here is not to be frightened by God, but to be in awe of him, to know that he is awesome. And Solomon says, let's hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Fear of God overcomes other fears. Keeping his commandments orders our priorities, makes life so simple. Fear God. Keep His commandments. Fear of this world. Fear of people. Fear of circumstances. Fear of the unknown. It pulls us apart. It fills us with anxiety and distress. It crushes us with despair. It causes our hearts to fail and it paralyzes us with panic. And there's a real fear that we struggle with to suppress. The fear of death, the fear of the unknown, the fear of the future. But the fear of God holds us together. It does all the exact opposite of the things that the fear of this world does. The fear of God strengthens us. The fear of God, knowing He's in control and He's awesome and He's good, fills us with hope and grace, puts courage into our hearts brings peace and rest to us, gives us with the strength we need to age and to die because we have that fear of Him and we know where our long home is. The fear of God will help you to keep the commandments that He has given to us in this short life that we, that we have. I enjoy going on trips whether it's for business, education, vacation. Um, I enjoy getting out of town. I enjoy seeing new places. But somewhere, inevitably, toward the end of a trip, especially the ones that are longer, there comes a moment when I get this longing for my own bed, (laughs) for my own shower, for a home-cooked meal. I get that longing even more when I'm away from my wife or my kids. And there are moments in this life, I suppose, that most, if not all of us who are saved, feel that deep tug in our hearts. Not for our home on earth, but for our eternal home. There are some songs that Jesse sings or leads the choir in or that we sing as a congregation. And there's these little twinges of Longing, I feel sometimes. Like, I'm looking forward to that. I, I know I'm made for that place. I know I have a spot there. I know that's where I really belong. I don't know if there's going to be a shower and a, and a home-cooked meal there, but it's going to be so much greater because my soul was made for that place. Chapter 12 is filled with notes about the pain and the agony of dying. And aging. But there's hope through all of that. Because as you, as you age, as, as the body shuts down, we draw closer to our real home. I was in the car with one of my boys the other day. And it's quiet. We're just driving along. And he just whips out this deep question. He says, Dad, where's your soul? So, well, where'd that come from? <laughs> where's your soul? Where is your soul? I know it belongs there. I know it's part of me. Son, it's, a, it's more a real part of you than your body is. 
And in verse 5, Solomon says this phrase as he talks about the dying process. He, he says this is all happening for this reason. Because man goes to his long home. That's where you belong. We're going we're gonna to be, we're going to feel the comfort of home there. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that, that offered to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no other experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And he continues, probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. And if that is so, I must take care on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings. And on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself. Keep alive in myself. Remember the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it to the main object of, the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. There is a home that our souls long for, and it is our long home, and we are on our way there. When I am returning home, when my mind is set on home. I don't like to stop. No bathroom breaks. I don't like to be delayed. And I don't like to get distracted. I'm going home. Why? Because my focus is set on getting home and the sense of comfort and more importantly, belonging that I feel there. And I want you to know tonight, we are on our way home. So be focused. The challenge is don't get distracted like Solomon did. Remember where you're going. Remember what really matters. Ecclesiastes asked the question, what does it take to live life well? And it's, it's not all the big sacrifices we imagine it to be. It's not a vocation. It, it's, it's, it's just simply this. It's a confoundingly simple idea. Remember. Keep it at the front of your mind. Make it a part of your daily living and decision making. Bono is a famous Irish rock star singer. He wrote, or I suppose he said in an interview, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. It's a book about a character who wants to find out why he's alive, why he was created. He tries knowledge. He tries wealth. He tries experience. He tries everything. You hurry to the end of the book to find out why, and it says, remember your creator. And he says, in a way, it's such a letdown. Yet it isn't. I don't know how much he remembers his creator. But that doesn't matter to me. What does matter to me is how much I remember my creator. 
And that's the challenge. That you and I would live our lives from our youth all the way through to the day that we die. And that we would remember Him. We'd fear Him, keep His commandments, and not forget. Let me ask you to stand tonight if you would.